0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Today, we continue our journey toward the end of the church year. In a mere two weeks, another Advent begins. We will begin preparing our hearts, our minds, our congregation and this church building for yet another commemoration of the coming of the Christ child. Where does the time go, we ask ourselves, whenever we begin the passage from one measure of time into another? Sometimes we look back and we fondly recall pleasant events or significant accomplishments. Other times we remember difficulties or painful moments, And we often shake our heads in regret at how much time we have squandered along the way, letting it slip away forever. Yet even as Advent, that time of new beginnings, creeps into our consciousness, we must confront and contemplate things of the end and consider a different sort of coming. Here on this second last Sunday of the church year, Once again, we hear lessons from God's holy word, which inform and enlighten us about the end times. We Christians dwell in the days between Calvary and Armageddon, where the victory has been fully won, but the battle between heaven and hell rages on. We await the return of our champion, Jesus Christ, knowing that when he returns in glory and power, our final rescue is at hand. Today, our gospel lesson is that of the parable of the talents. Often when we hear that word, talent, we think of it in our modern sense and definition. We have come to understand talent as an ability or a skill or a gift that has been given and then developed and is intended to be used for the benefit of ourselves or that of others. This present definition indeed has come about largely because of how the term is used here in this parable today. Many see this story of the master's giving of the talents to the servants as an example of how some people make good use of the opportunities that come their way in the course of life. As a culture, we are sometimes far more fascinated with the talents and opportunities which others are given more than we focus on our own. Witness the numerous television programs that showcase the knowledge or the physical abilities of other people and the opportunities they have to use these to gain fame or fortune. American Idol, Jeopardy, Dancing with the Stars, the various Miss This and Miss That pageants, Last Comic Standing, America's Got Talent, and plenty more shows, I imagine, some of which you may know, but which have escaped my attention. In many cases, of course, it seems that some of these contestants were selected not because of any real talent or ability that they possess, but rather the show's producers must have selected them simply because they were outrageous enough to provide some shock value to the audience. Or maybe they just seem good to generate a laugh. Quite often we can look at those that are participating in these contests and think to ourselves, that person doesn't have that much talent. I could do that well. And when we see some individual that we believe really does have what it takes, we might harbor just a little smidgen of jealousy toward them, but we can respect their abilities nevertheless. Then we wonder how on earth the judges of these contests can not agree with our assessment and have eliminated them from the competition. It's gotten to the point where the removal of some contestants have caused studio switchboards and websites to be inundated with irate calls or emails by viewers complaining about the loss of their favorite. The occasional death threat against the judges of these shows has even been occasionally reported. How sad that so many people live such vicarious, externalized lives. They can appreciate and applaud and even benefit from the efforts of others. Yet, for lack of motivation and with claims of lack of time, they neglect the development and the application of their own talents for useful or constructive purposes. That could never happen in the church, could it? I'm sure in pulpits all over America today, at least in those congregations that use this parable of the talents as their gospel reading today, there are going to be plenty of sermons about the stewardship of time, talents, and money. That's not necessarily a bad thing, of course. You do need to hear occasionally the truth that we as Christians, freed from the crushing burden of sin by the death and resurrection of Jesus... We are to thankfully support the work of the gospel and the church with our generous giving of money and labor. If I were inclined to do so, certainly this text would give me a great opportunity to lay a heavy guilt trip upon you. I could preach about talents and about the proper use of the resources that God has per- placed in your care during this lifetime. I could remind you that everything you have was provided to you by God, either through the generosity of others or through the talents and abilities he's given you so that you could earn it for yourself. I could admonish you that Christians do not abandon the work of the kingdom to others. They don't fail to support the financial and the ministry commitments that they, as members of a community under the cross, have made. They don't use their checkbooks as weapons to manipulate the activities and priorities of the fellowship of Christ into which they have been placed by God. They don't withhold their contributions when they don't get their own way and they don't direct their giving to only their pet activities in the congregation. And in the final analysis, Christians only withhold or withdraw their financial support and their best efforts when they see that a church isn't proclaiming the gospel in its purity or isn't administering the sacraments according to the biblical direction, and then only after lovingly confronting those who persist in such errors and seeing no turning away from them. Yes, this text certainly has the potential to be applied in that guilt-producing way, and I suppose that, indirectly anyway, I've done just that. If you squirmed a little bit, or you looked down momentarily, or a little bit of resentment creeped in and started building when you recognized your own place in that litany, then consider that your conviction by the law this morning. On the other hand, if you smiled, if you sat up straight and said, I'm a generous giver and a tireless worker, then you're guilty of excessive pride and I haven't got through to you quite yet. If St. Paul counted himself as chief among sinners and Martin Luther's dying words were, we are all beggars, this is true. You and I do not have much solid ground to stand on when it comes to boasting about how much we've done or how much we've sacrificed for the church. But I don't believe that this text really has all that much to do with the stewardship of time, talents and money. Coming as it does between the parable of the ten virgins, where Christ warns his followers to be on the watch for his return, and his description of the separation of the sheep from the goats at the final judgment, this text and its place in the lectionary at this time in the church year tells us something very, very important. Those who have spent a lifetime studying such texts have concluded that it speaks of far more than just the proper use of of worldly resources. The master who leaves to go on a journey and distributes talents to his servants is not just entrusting a little bit of walking around money to them. According to one commentary I consulted, a talent was made up of 60 minas and a mina was made up of 100 drachmas. A drachma was considered one day's wages. So, if I can still do math, each talent is worth about 6,000 days' wages, 24 years' worth. If you've got that laying around anywhere, please see a stewardship or endowment board representative in the narthex after the service. Note, if you will, the master is not simply making a gift of these vast sums to his three servants— Rather, he is entrusting what is his own property to each of them, allocated according to their individual abilities. Each receives a tremendous amount, even the one who only received one talent. It's a resource almost beyond comprehension to most of us. Certainly, it would have been nearly unfathomable to those in Jesus' day who heard this parable for the first time. They could barely make ends meet, so this would have been a vast treasure to them. In the master's absence, each of the three servants has responsibility for the care and the nurture of the talents that he has received. Two of them wasted no time in diligently and wisely applying these talents toward productive ends, doubling the original amount given to them. The third servant does not do quite so well. In fact, he does nothing at all other than hiding the talent in the filth of the earth. Time goes by, a long time, the text tells us. And upon the master's return, he asks for an accounting. What have his servants been up to? What have they done with the precious treasure that he has entrusted to each of them? The first two come forward respectfully, yet full of enthusiasm at what has been produced by the use of the master's substantial and generous seed money. They hadn't hidden it. They hadn't squandered it. They had not utilized it for their own selfish purposes. Their investments had brought a substantial return, and the master is exceptionally pleased. Not only are they commended for their good use of the precious treasure, they are invited to share in the joy he has in all that has been accomplished with it. The third servant standing there, probably realizes his error by now. The master is exceedingly pleased with the accomplishments of the other two servants and the gains that they have seen. And yet he has done nothing with the talent he was given. If anything, he has made it worth even less than originally because he has buried it in the dirt. With fear and with trembling, he approaches the master and begins to explain. The master is not pleased at all. Although the talent was not completely lost, it certainly was not pro- applied properly either. The servant's excuses about knowing the master's attributes and attitudes do nothing to minimize his anger. Now, whether it is true or not that the master was a hard man, this servant certainly knew that he was a lavishly generous master and that he had expectations of those to whom he had entrusted his generosity for the wasting of this opportunity, the servant is severely punished, not only losing possession of the talent he had originally been given, but losing his place in the master's household altogether. Jesus' words to describe this servant's fate, that he will be thrown into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is code word for eternal condemnation for the damnation of those who will not be brought into eternal glory with Christ and the Heavenly Father. This ought to make it crystal clear to us that Jesus isn't just talking about earthly treasure here or giving us guidance about the wide use of our God-given physical and intellectual and monetary gifts. Rather, the talents that are referred to in this parable are the faith, and the gospel which have been entrusted to each and every one of us through the working of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, Lord and master of the household of the church where each of us is his appointed servant, has given you faith and given you the gospel to be used productively in his service. What will you do with this faith? What will you do with his gospel? Both of these are of immeasurable value. The possessions of God which have been entrusted to you and to all believers while the master is away. They are first given to us, those of us in the household, not to the neighbors, not to the passers-by on the streets, to you, his servants, members of the household of faith. He gives you gospel in your ears, gospel poured upon your skin, gospel in your mouth from the altar, all producing faith in your heart. A generous outpouring of the treasures of heaven, intended by God to produce a yield of yet more gospel and yet more faith in you and in all those that you encounter as you go about the master's business, seeking to multiply his investment and grow his treasure. Do you think that God wants you to keep your faith and the gospel buried out of sight? Kept to yourself? Or is he expecting that his lavish generosity will not go to waste? Do you think that he considers inadequate in some way how he has equipped you to apply his gifts? That his trust in your ability to understand and take the direction that he has given to you in Scripture is somehow unfounded? Where you have buried your faith, where you have hidden away the gospel, where you have feared being able to do an adequate job of putting them to work, repent. Don't approach the master and try to tell them that you were afraid of his punishment, yet you didn't want to depend on the gifts that he has given you. Simply come before him. Admit that you have failed to follow his intentions, and likewise that you have failed to trust in his mercy and his grace. Don't hand him back his precious treasure like it's a hot potato, something that you don't want to have in your possession or deal with in your life. For without these things, without the gospel and without the faith that it works in your heart through the gospel, we have no hope of standing in the master's presence or remaining in his household as he intends for us. Instead, grasp that gospel. Hold on to your faith And although we must always remember that these remain the possessions of God, He has made them yours to care for, yours to use, yours from which to benefit. So use them. Invest them for the benefit of the household of God. Take your faith and take the gospel out into the marketplace where those neighbors and passers-by outside of the household of God are daily going about their business. Chasing after the perishable, even as they are perishing. Spread a little bit of it here. Spread a little bit of it there. And trust that the Holy Spirit will direct you to the people and the places where it will yield great returns. To the glory of your Heavenly Father. And for the eternal benefit of those who will hear it and receive it. Remain constant and true in the household of Christ. Enjoy each and every day his rich and generous outpouring of life and love, forgiveness and salvation through the suffering, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when the master returns from his long journey, he will call you into his happiness with the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen.